When a so-called doctor whose job is to heal and help uses metal forceps to break apart a baby's body, this is not healthcare. This is not a doctor. It's just a killer. And we should call it for what it is. Well, hello and welcome. What you just saw there was Dr. Joanna Howe, an Adelaide-based law professor and mother of five. She's been on this show before and is arguably one of the most articulate advocates for human rights for unborn babies and their mothers. Australia's abortion to birth laws, which now exist in all states, are the biggest political issue of our time that no one wants to talk about. That's why Dr Howe's voice is so important. She tells it like it is. We need to tell a better story of life and hope for all humans, no matter how small or vulnerable they are. That's one of the reasons I do this show and fight the culture wars. While ever there is freedom to speak, there is hope. That's why I'm so disappointed with the Queensland Liberal National Party, which has gagged its candidates and MPs from talking about issues like the killing of unborn babies to birth. Leader David Crucifilli has unilaterally declared there will be no changes to Queensland's abortion to birth laws if he is elected Premier at this October's election. He's even ruled out an inquiry into the the sort of brutality Dr Howe just described. The Australian newspaper reported last year that Crucifelli said, and I quote, a review of the abortion, uh, sorry, a review of the reformed abortion law promised by Ms Frecklington, that's his predecessor Deb Frecklington, ahead of the last election would not proceed if the LNP won this time, end quote. Now that means whoever wins October's Queensland election Labor or the LNP, there will be no change to the abortion to birth and to sex selection abortion, which allows baby girls to be killed in the womb simply because they are girls. All of this is perfectly legal in Queensland and other Australian states. In Dr Howe's home state of, state of South Australia, abortion to birth was legalised in 2022 under the Liberals. In the first six months of the law championed by Liberal Attorney General Vicky Chapman, eight fully formed late-term healthy babies were killed. Here's Dr Howe speaking at the recent Adelaide Walk for Life event. Chapman from the Liberal Party, and we traditionally think of the Liberal Party as being on our side when it comes to life issues, but Vicky Chapman and her lust for abortion, she might as well have been a Greens, right? And, you know, there she was. And David Spears, a, a good Liberal guy, I like David, he gets up, and he asks Vicky a question and he says, Vicky, I don't think he calls her Vicky, I think he calls her Attorney General. He says, Attorney General, isn't it true that under your new law, if a mother with a 35-week-old baby who is completely healthy walks into hospital and asks for an abortion, she will be able to get it? Vicky Chapman stands up and says, on the health advice I have received, the answer is no. And I'm watching from the parliamentary gallery and I just wanted to jump up and down and say that's not true, that's not true. Under Vicky's new law, it totally can happen. The first six months of data is in for Vicky Chapman's new laws. In just six months, eight healthy babies older than 23 weeks up until birth have been killed in a non-emergency situation. These eight healthy babies did not need to die. Eight healthy babies uh, post 23 weeks, fully formed, uh, killed 
in the first six months of the South Australian abortion to birth laws. Uh, who knows what the figures are in the other states around Australia. We can and we must tell a better story than the culture of brutal death that is offered to mothers and forced upon so many babies. It's why Family First is working. Uh, it's why we're in the fight. It's why we are raising candidates and supporters in Queensland and right around the nation who will put the values that matter, values of life and hope on the ballot paper so that you can cast a vote for a better story, a better story for babies and mothers. Well, joining me now is one of our audience favourites, uh, Bernie Finn, who's running for the Senate for the Family First Party in Victoria for at the upcoming federal election. Bernie, great to see you again. Uh, Bernie, great to see you, Lyle, and, and Happy New Year to you and uh, and all the viewers out there. Hope well, you have a, a brilliant 2024. Thank you, and same to you. We're well into the year, and uh, obviously the, the Prime Minister's office is uh, well into the year, Bernie. There's been a leak uh, that says there'll be an election this year. What do you make of this? I think this is a leak that is uh, highly credible. Uh, I think that the the first, I, I've got to say, toward the end of last year, I was starting to think that Albo had lost his uh, his mojo completely, but he's got it back over Christmas, uh, as happens with, uh, with PMs and governments from time to time. And I think if he sees the slightest chance of... Um, of uh, a re-election, um, he will uh, he will call an election immediately. Mm. Uh, I, I I would put money down if if I, if I were a betting man, um, I would put money down that there will be an election in the second half um, of this year. And if they're looking good, it will be the first half of the second half. Um, if, if you know what I'm talking about, I, I think he, he is ready to go. He yep. wants to go, uh, and uh, there will be. I, I, I'm certain there will be an election this year. Okay, so an August-September election is tipped by Bernie Finn. We'll uh, wait and see, but uh, obviously the finger is on the trigger and uh, we need to be ready, and I know you're getting ready down there in Victoria. Absolutely, yeah. No, very very excited about what lies ahead. And I, I even say, um, given that Albo is a Sydney Prime Minister, um, he's likely to call an election in July, uh, which we in Melbourne don't like because it is freezing uh, at that uh, point in, in, in time, but um, that's happened before where where Prime Ministers uh, have called elections in July and I think uh, that, that uh, clown uh, Turnbull did that uh, did. from, uh, from yep. memory. Yep. Well, uh, and we all, we all froze and, and both sides cursed him uh, right <laughs> through to election day. Uh, but don't be surprised if, if Albo is so keen to go, he'll, he'll even go in, um, in July. All right, we'll be watching the space. Now, speaking of the Albanese government, um, and this is why I think they may well be a one-term government, uh, Bernie, with crazy stuff like this, but uh, they've released a consultation uh, about guidelines for our food uh, to help warn us about the, the effects on climate change of things <laughs> oh, like meat yeah. products, steak and yeah, chicken. Yeah, Bernie, yeah, are you going to yeah. be giving up steak to save the planet? Uh, there is about as much chance of that happening as there is me joining the Collingwood Cheer Squad. I've got to tell you that that is that is not going to happen at all. Um, what I mean, you, you, we we could easily laugh at this sort of nonsense, but the fact of the matter is that there is a large section um, of the left um, who want to destroy agricultural industries, um, and they, they want to close down the farmers. They want to close down the beef industry. They want to close down the lamb industry, uh, the the pork industry. You know, this is what they want to do. They are firmly uh, committed to that. Uh, and, and that is something that I've been aware of now for some years. I recall sitting on a committee um, a, a couple of years or a few years ago now uh, where people one after another got up and, and declared uh, that this is what they wanted to do. Uh, so that, they, don't, they don't bother hiding it. Uh, it's just that the media uh, have decided that um, they, they won't report it for, for reasons yeah. that are beyond me because this is um, 
I mean, not, not only is it going to make it very, very difficult uh, for Australia to survive as a nation, um, but it's going to make it very, very difficult for us all not to starve. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, and, th- this and that's, is... And that's, this it's is, insane. It's crazy stuff, Bernie. Yeah, it, and, yeah. and we have to. We joke about it, but we've got to take it serious. Um, look, our country isn't what it used to be. Um, turning to other issues, Bernie, I know this is something you're very passionate about, as, as we all are, but um, there's new research out that is showing that our kids are not getting the education they should be. Uh, yeah. Literacy, numeracy, numeracy it's, uh, it's down the drain. What's happening and, and what should be done about it? Well, this has been ongoing for uh, probably a generation and a half. Maybe I'm being a little conservative there, uh, but it's been going on for quite some time. And we, we now have a situation where where kids in a school will know how to transition, but they won't know how to spell it. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is and that is a matter of uh, of great concern um, to me. Uh, that that's something that um, is is not good for our country. It's not good for our future. But it's certainly not good for the kids. Mm. I mean, if we have a situation where kids. Um, uh, leave the, leave twelve years of education, and they can barely spell their own name. Um, we are in a diabolical situation. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a very very scary uh, a very very scary scenario that we face. And uh, you know, governments across Australia and both sides of the fence, I have to say, both Liberal and Labor are responsible for this. Uh, we we have to be aware um, of um, uh, the the difficulties um, to understate things uh, that this sort of situation is going to provide. And, uh, you know, we, we've, we've got to have an intensive um, teaching in, in the, the three R's, you know. Yeah. We, I mean, if, if, if kids can get through 12 years of school without learning how to read, write and, and do arithmetic, uh, we've, got a, we've got a system that, that is absolutely gone for all money. Uh, but yet, but yet they know they know where to get an abortion. Yeah. Uh, they know uh, how to how to transition into into another gender. Um, they they can tell you about uh, when climate change is going to kill us all. They can tell you all that, but they can't tell you how to spell their name. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm very very concerned about the future, about their kids' future. I mean, yeah. that that's what worries me. I mean, just about everything that I do in public life and, and indeed in private life um, for many many years now has been about kids. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, the first, the first priority of any any adult, I believe, is to protect kids. Yeah, uh, and and if and if we're not doing that. Um, then we're failing as human beings. Absolutely. Well, well, speaking of protecting kids, Bernie, we've seen um, the latest newsletter from the Australian Institute for Family Mm. Studies, and we might be able to get uh, an image up there on the screen. But um, they've got an image of um, a... a Supposed, you know, normal family. Uh, it's two women. It's it's a child. It's a fatherless family. What is this mm. saying about the place of fatherhood and, and the role of fathers in children in modern Australia? If a government-funded uh, institute like the Australian Institute for Family Studies is putting this sort of stuff out, well, the, the bottom line is, that, as you well know, Lyle, there have been a number of people, a number of women, uh, radical left-wing women, for a long period of time, who've been of the view and have been pushing this view that men are not required. We, we are a surplus to, to needs. Uh, and uh, and that is something that, that distresses me enormously because I think the, the role of fatherhood um, is is extremely important. And, and I think, uh, you know, every child is deserving um, of a mum and a dad. Uh, yeah. that, that's the bottom line. It's, it's a pity the Family Institute uh, doesn't put out the figures showing just how important having a mum and a dad is um, to the welfare of, uh, of children. Uh, yeah. But, I, I, you know, I, I, think, I think, you know, you've, you've got – these people who are pushing uh, an appalling, uh, dreadful agenda that is going to hurt kids, um, and unfortunately, they have the, they they are controlling the government as well. 
yeah. and that's uh, that 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 can't be good for any of us. Yeah. Now, Bernie, also on the Australian Institute of Family Studies website, I stumbled across um, uh, another you know, helpful taxpayer-funded um, publication. Um, they've helpfully published a glossary of LGBTIQA plus common terms. It introduces us cisgender males to new terms such as endosex. Now, according to the glossary, Bernie, endosex is a term used to describe people whose innate sex characteristics meet medical and conventional understandings of male and female female bodies. Bernie, have you ever thought of yourself as an endosexual? I have to say I have never thought of myself as an endosexual and I would really appreciate it if nobody else did. Uh, that, would, <laughs> that, would, that, would be a, that would be a very good thing. I mean, I, look, I, I have no objection, I have to say, Lyle. I have no objection to people using their imagination. I think imagination, the human imagination, is a God-given gift and, and people have a right to, to use it as they will and, and come up with some weird and wonderful and really strange, strange things. But, hey, it crosses the line and we have to pay for it. Yeah. You know, if they if they want to if they want to sit in a paddock and come up with this weirdo stuff, then good luck to them. But I'm not paying for it. You shouldn't have to pay for it. And and people who who are viewing this today shouldn't have to pay for it. Uh, that's the bottom line. That all of this is happening uh, across the board on our dime. Yeah. Uh, and and that that is that is something that should not be tolerated in Australia, particularly at a time when we have a, a cost of living crisis, a time when hospitals and schools and and so many public institutions are in desperate need um, of money. Uh, we we're throwing huge amounts uh, or huge numbers of dollars um, at at this weirdo stuff that uh, is 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 it really helping anybody? No, it's not. And it's just confusing kids, as, as we were talking about earlier. Mm. This is why we need your voice in the Senate, Bernie. Bernie, just finally, um, down in your home state of Victoria, um, two former premiers, Jeff Kennett, who, who was your old boss back in the day, and probably Dennis Napthine as well, yes. have joined mm. John Pesciuto, the, your Liberal leader down there, who was, you know, labelled and slurred and defamed Moira Deeming and other brave women as Nazi associates. So Kennett yep. and Napthine are, are supporting and donating to John Pesciuto's legal fight against uh, Moira Deeming, who's trying to restore her good name. What do you make of this? Well, Lyle, you can also add Ted Bailey to that. He was a Premier there for a little while. Mm. Uh, wasn't much of a Premier, pretty lousy Premier, actually. Um, but he's kicking in as well. So, you know, but the Bailey's got lots of money, so that won't that won't worry him. Uh, look, I, I, I think it is an absolute nonsense for, for Jeff and Dennis and, and Ted um, to be doing this. Uh, you know, if... if Somebody wants to defame somebody else. If somebody wants to come out and say something that is blatantly wrong about somebody else and they are sued for that, they should be responsible for their own actions. Uh, you know, they, they shouldn't be going around cap in hand begging for money from uh, from people and uh, who, who knows, we're, we're told that a list is coming. Um, Moira has already announced uh, uh, some of the people that have contributed to her uh, defence uh, or was it the prosecution? I'm not sure. One yeah, or the prosecution, other. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, but but um, you know, I, I think I think that um, uh, responsibility is is a very a vitally important thing uh, in political leaders. And if um, John Pesuto uh, cannot take personal responsibility for what he has said and what he has done, um, then he then he's failed uh, the, the first the first uh, test. Uh, and uh, I am very, very concerned that um, this thing is going to go on and on forever. Uh, I, I know how difficult uh, it is to raise money, as indeed you do, Lyle, for, uh, for political purposes, uh, and um, to think that millions and millions of dollars 
potentially are going to go into this case from both sides um, when, there's, when there's an election, you know, two years away, uh, it just it's it crazy. just absolutely astounds crazy me. And, you stuff. know, I, one, one of my great hates in life is waste. Yeah. And if this isn't waste, I don't know what is. Yeah. I mean, what, what are they thinking? Well, it's waste and it's an injustice against uh, people like Moira, who were simply defending the rights of girls and women to have mm. their private spaces. And, and of course, you're yep. at the forefront of that fight. And it's sad to see the Liberal Party tearing itself apart in Victoria. But that's why you and I are doing what we're doing. Bernie, yeah. you're going to well, be out I, and about. Well, well, I, I, don't, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think the Liberals have a future in Victoria. Um, mm. I, I, think, I think the game is up. Uh, and that's why, as you were about to say, mm. um, that's why we need Family First. Absolutely. Because Family First is a genuine, a fair dinkum uh, conservative party that is standing up for the things that, that really matter to ordinary people. Um, and that's something that the Liberals haven't done for a very long time. Well said, Bernie. Well, uh, you're, you're going to be out and about speaking around Victoria. I will. Um, the details of those speaking events will be on the Family First website, familyfirstparty.org.au. Go there to events and, and find also, out where Bernie's speaking. And also the Bernie Finn, the Bernie Finn uh, uh, Facebook page will be, be on the, there as well. The Bernie Finn Facebook page is on fire. Visit that, visit familyfirst.org.au. <laughs> Bernie, thanks so much for being with us today. Great to be here, Lyle. Great to see you uh, in 2024. Well, sadly, too much mediocrity rules in our parliaments these days. But the recently released memoir of a 32-year veteran of the Australian Senate might be the antidote to this problem. Ron Boswell's political career began almost half a century ago when the then small businessman helped the Queensland Nationals under Sir Joe Bjelke-Peterson do what no one thought was possible, win seats in metropolitan Brisbane. Ron's effective organisational skills in building support amongst disenfranchised constituencies like like fishers, banana growers, pharmacists and post office franchisees, and then deploying thousands of volunteers on polling booths during elections led to him winning and holding his Senate seat against all odds. As a Brisbane-based senator, Boswell broke the mould for the Nationals, who were seen as the country party, winning over city-based small businesses while at the same time staying true to the concerns of the bush. The book is called Not Pretty, But Pretty Effective, and Ron's story will make you laugh and cry and cheer for the underdog. Ron Boswell joins me now from Brisbane. Ron, it's great to have you on the program. How, how are you going, Lyle? It's nice to be with you. Doing really well, Ron. Ron, this book uh, almost never happened. It, it almost never saw the light of day because three years ago you were severely ill in hospital and even had been given the last rites by your priest. Uh, tell us what happened. Well, I went into hospital for a knee operation, which thousands of people have. They were just a knee replacement and everything went wrong. I asphyxiated or something and something went down the wrong way and all the kidneys cut out, everything cut out. So I, I, I died twice and had to be uh, resuscitated by the doctor. So I was pretty close to it. And that's, uh, I was lying in the hospital there for four months. And yeah. uh, some friends of mine visited me and said, well, you know, you've got a lot more to give. Get out, go go forward and get out. So I did, and the, uh, the result of that was a book. I thought I'd write down my experiences in a book because I thought it would be beneficial for anyone that was interested in going into politics uh, to see what you can achieve if you are fair dinkum and prepared to have a go, just not accept... The, the, the flow of the, the party. You've got to get out there, 
find out the needs of the people and then respond to them. Yeah, and Ron, uh, few parliamentarians did it as well as you. And this is why I was so keen to talk to you about this, uh, because your background in small business uniquely prepared you for parliament. Uh, you say in the book that age 40 is about the right time to go in. Why do you say that? Well, you've got a bit of experience. I think you need the world experience. You need experience in the private sector and... Uh, uh, 40 years, the, the, your kids are probably, you know, of an age where you can get away a bit. Uh, I found that 40 was the right time to go in. and uh, uh, But the experience I had in running my own business for 16 years, that gave me a real strong background uh, for Parliament. I knew what people wanted. I knew how important the small business sectors was. Uh, if you want an egalitarian Australia, you've got to have a strong small business sector. And uh, that's what I always believed. Australia was a, a very egalitarian society and it's losing that at the moment. And uh, it was backed up by chemists and real estate agents and news agents and the, the small business sector. And those are the people I tried to support. Yeah, and you did it very well, Ron. Um, I want to go over some of the history. You had such a long career that spanned such an important period of Australian political life, but uh, you cut your teeth uh, while you were still in business, um, in your spare time, uh, if you can call spare time for a businessman uh, something, but you helped organise the National Party in metropolitan Brisbane during the Bjelke-Peterson years. Why was that successful? And, and what was the appeal that uh, Joe had to the people of Queensland at the time? Well, Joe had an appeal to certain types of people, small business people, the, um, the Bible section of the community, the Christian section, but what he did have, he was a leader and he got out and led on issues and people followed him and that's what politics needs. Someone would get out with a flag and the drum and say, follow me, and that's what Joe did and he had a big, huge supporter base People supported him, but they didn't have any avenue to support him in the polls until we came along. And it started on small business, uh, on a trading hours issue. The big end of town wanted to deregulate the trading hours, which would have been very tough for small business, particularly the small businesses in, in rural Australia. People would have gone into the Bundabergs and the Mariboroughs to shop and left the Kingaroys uh, out to dry. So. I was able to convince Joe that he would destroy family families by people making them work Saturday and Sunday, seven days a week, and also he would hurt the he would hurt the primary industry sector or the regional areas. And when I told him that, he said that would be a desecration of Sunday. I said you are going to stop people going to church on Saturday and on Sundays because they'll be working. And he said, well, that will be a desecration of Sunday and it's never going to happen while I'm Premier. And it never did happen while he was Premier. Mm. And uh, then the small business sector could see that he was supporting them because they were terrified of unrestricted trading hours. And when he made sure it didn't happen, they switched their alliances from the Liberal Party to the National Party. And that was the start of it. Mm. 
And, and Ron, you worked with, very closely with Sir Joe, and, and I'll come to Lady Flo in a minute, uh, for many years. But the, the radical left in Australia, and the mainstream left, try and characterise Joe as, as corrupt and, and all of this sort of stuff. That's the caricature. But um, it, it's not quite as simple as that, is it? Um, what's your recollections well, of, was, of the man? Uh, when, when Joe died, he was absolute destitute. He didn't have any money at all, so if he was corrupt, he did a very poor job of it. He didn't have any money at all. He, he was almost, um, he was just about penniless. He'd spent all his money on legal actions, and uh, uh, but he was, uh, he was, people, the secret to Joe was he was, you knew where he stood. Mm. He was no clouding issues. You, it, was, it was either right or it was wrong or it was good or it was bad. And they were the criteria he used. And yeah. he built up a huge, uh, he built Queensland into a, from a little rural-based state to a, a powerhouse of mining and tourism and um, created a lot of wealth. And the big thing that Joe did, the massive thing he did, sometimes it's forgotten, he took away death duties. Mm. He, he got rid of death duties in Queensland. Then everyone would invest their money in Queensland and the other states had to follow. So the, he, he was the yeah. original uh, operator to get rid of death duties, which actually has been so beneficial to most of Australians. Absolutely, Ron. And look, I think the great service you do in this book is you tell that part of Queensland political history and help correct the record. And those chapters on Joe and uh, his premiership of Queensland are absolutely fascinating. You went into the Senate um, and served alongside Sir Joe's wife, Lady Flo Bjelke-Peterson, and I've had the privilege of meeting her with you, a lovely woman. She was a formidable parliamentarian in her own right as a senator for Queensland for many years. Tell us about your recollections of Lady Flo. Well, I... Uh I was in the Senate when Flo uh, decided to run. What actually happened was we always had a joint Senate ticket with the Liberals and the Nationals. And then at one stage, the Liberal Party decided that they would, not, would run a, a separate ticket and not uh, have the Nationals on their ticket, which left the National Party uh, with, in, a, in a panic. And they had to find someone that could carry the National Party banner. And two of the Joe's biggest supporters decided Flo would be the person. And um, I, uh, I, was, I was instrumental in helping her get in. I got the numbers for her in the Senate, in the pre-selection. Uh, and that is explained in the book, mm. how I had to run up, to, up from the Gold Coast to the city of Brisbane to get a, uh, an amended... Uh, an amended vote and bring it back. Uh, I also had to man the polling booth because we had no structure in Brisbane. And that was the start of the National Party. Rather than the, be deserted by the people, we wouldn't have any support in, the, in Brisbane. We built the support up on flight. Mm. She, was she was very likeable. Uh, she softened Joe's image down to where he became very acceptable to the people in the metropolitan area. And at one stage, we had eight seats in Brisbane, uh, uh, which were, I think was as more as, as much as the Liberals. So we did make a big entry into Brisbane and it was made because I believe so, Flo, coming into the Senate, uh, was such a, a wonderful politician and so popular that she, uh, that she uh, made Joe's profile acceptable yep. 
Yeah. Ron, um, your, your book is a fascinating story of a lost, a now lost golden age when giants like uh, John Howard, Peter Costello, John Anderson, Richard Alston, Warren Truss, just to name a few, delivered very competent public policy and good government in Australia, the likes of which we haven't seen for probably over a decade. Why do you think Australia has struggled to produce parliamentarians of their calibre since? Well, we did have politicians, and you mentioned them, they were giants. John Howard, uh, Costello, one of the reasons I believe that Parliament is suffering at the moment is that you cannot actually fund a retirement mm. out of the present um, superannuation. And it is very difficult to, to spend 32 years of your life and then walk out uh, with, no, uh, with no retirement or very little retirement benefit. And I believe that is keeping a lot of people out of Parliament. Look, you never go into Parliament to make money. That shouldn't be the reason. But you can't really walk away from Parliament with no retirement benefits and just let your family uh, bat. And, and I think people are not going into Parliament for that reason. There's no, yep. there's no way for them to, on uh, retirement, to have a decent living. Right, and I, I, think I point that out in the book many times. You, you do. Because I think it's, one, a, it's a very powerful if a case. To have a, 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 if a, sorry, mate. If, if a country is to have a good uh, future, it's got to have a good parliament. And if you've got to have a good parliament, you've got to have people there with experience. I can remember in the last, second last party room I was at, I got up in the party room and I said, I'm the only person in this party room that hasn't got a degree and I'm the only person in this party room who's run their own business. And I was the only person that had to run a, a business in the joint party rooms, Liberal and Nationals. Um, there were farmers and there were, there were doctors and there was, but they're professionals. Um, they're, not, um, they're not business people. Mm. And I suspect and it hasn't got any better I, in the 10 years since you left, Ron. Ron, you, you, I think that's no, a No, it's getting worse, mate. Yeah. Straight from university, straight into a minister, into a parliamentary office, then into a, a ministerial office, and then into Parliament House with no experience other than four or five years at university. Yep. No business. Business taught you how to get on with people, how to get on with your, your, your employees, how to get on with your, your customers, how to negotiate. Uh, it, it was just like a little microcosm of, of Parliament, yeah. and people just don't have that that experience going in into politics now. Yep. Well, I think your, the proposition you make in the book about uh, improving the, the retirement benefits, um, you know, that was all junk because of populism under Mark Latham. Unfortunately, Australians have this perception, the tall poppy syndrome, but uh, we've got to get over that. And as you say, make sure that there's some incentive uh, for politicians after they, they leave. Ron, in the book, you are scathing about the net zero climate policies of both Labor and the coalition. Uh, you write, and I quote, when I see homeless people on the street, I think of the billions wasted to get more expensive electricity and I shudder, I'll regret that decision, that is the decision to support net zero or the coalition's decision to support net zero and to not oppose the renewable energy regime for the rest of my life, end quote. Um, is it simply, Ron, a, a lack of courage that stops conservative, the conservative side of politics from breaking free of this destructive policy? Well, I, uh, I fought the carbon tax policy. I fought it to a standstill. We actually won that 
we defeated the carbon tax, but we didn't defeat the renewable energy. And that is where I never took a hard stand against it. I was against it, but I took a hard stand against the carbon tax and I won it. We defeated it in the parliament and it never raised its head again till about a year ago where they penalised the 250 biggest companies, which are going to end in an absolute disaster. Mm. But um, uh, it's hard to break away. Yes, it is hard. You've got a lot of pressure on you down there. Don't, you know, be a team player. Be a, Take one for the team. You've got to be able to go above that. And um, I, I wasn't winning too many friends when I started to oppose the the carbon tax. Everyone was saying, "Oh, look, it's got to happen. It's going to, it's inevitable. Just roll along with it." But I didn't. I fought it, and, but I, I and I should have fought the renewable energy. I never believed the renewable renewable energy would be as bad as it was. I thought the carbon tax would be worse. But the renewable energy, I, I regret never standing up and fighting against that. Well, Ron, um, unfortunately, uh, our time is is up, but uh, I can't highly recommend uh, this book. It's called Not Pretty, uh, sorry, uh, Not Pretty, but Pretty Effective, Ron Boswell. It's his memoirs of 32 years in the Australian Parliament, uh, father of the Senate, and of course, uh, his life story leading up to that. Ron, uh, really appreciate you writing the book. I think you've done a service to politics and to aspiring politicians, uh, and uh, really appreciate your giving of your time here today on ADH TV. Well, I'm very glad to have done it, uh, uh, Lyle, and I'm, I'm very pleased to be able to come up before your program and talk to your people. I think it is a good read. I think people will not only enjoy it, but it's got the history of the political uh, be between the 83s and until now, the rise and fall of the National Party. It's got uh, what you can achieve if you want to be, want to get out there, and it shows different situations which we took up and, and won. And uh, and that's what I want to show the people. You can go down to Canberra and you can make a difference. And the more we get people with experience down there, real life experience in the real world, the better parliament we will have. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Ron. Well, thank you, Ron. Well, well, Ron, you did go to Canberra. You did make a, a big difference, and I had the privilege of seeing that firsthand. I'd encourage everyone to go to connorcourt.com.au, uh, uh, where you can buy a copy of Ron's bo book, connorcourtpublishing.com.au. Thanks again, Ron. While sadly always a feature of our society, often hidden, Violence against women has been on the increase since the sexual revolution and the mainstreaming of pornography and the sex trade. So blinded have we become about the objectif objectification of women and girls that few people could join the dots when in the same week, just a few years ago, the Playboy founder Hugh Hefner died and the movie mogul creep Harvey Weinstein was exposed for living Hef's dream by abusing young aspiring actresses on the casting couch. Now, domestic violence and coercive control are in part bitter fruits of our junking of sexual morality, a phrase that has gone out of fashion and is not seen as something to even aspire to these days. 
Now, sadly, of course, there has always been violence and coercive control in many traditional moral marriages, and it was simply swept under the carpet. I'm not hankering for the good old days where women suffered in silence. But not everything about our ancestors' social mores was wrong. Traditions are experiments that worked, and we have thrown the baby out with the bathwater with disastrous consequences. When men are taught to be gentlemen, in the true sense of what that word is meant to embody, there is no place for Hef or Harvey-like behaviour towards women and girls. A true gentleman is secure in masculinity that is not toxic. But sadly, there are too many Hefts and Harveys out there and society is having to work overtime to keep women and girls safe as they go about their daily lives. Now, some innovative Australians and Indians have developed a new app for smartphones to help keep women and girls more safe. Violence against women hasn't gone away. It has evolved. Every woman knows the feeling of potential danger. However, the resources aren't always immediately available. What do you do when an incident is happening in real time? When calling the police seems like an overreaction or you're frozen in fear? Too many women are going it alone, which is why I'm Safe was developed. With the touch of a button, you're able to notify your personal support network because nobody understands the urgency of what you're going through, like friends, family and other women. By pressing the One Touch SOS Alert button on your smartphone app or physical tag device, you're able to discreetly record audio, photos and your location while alerting your nearest and dearest in real time. Well, joining me now is the co-founder and director of the I Am Safe app, Samson Seladuri from Adelaide in South Australia. Samson, welcome. Uh, this looks like a terrific innovation. Tell us about how this came about. Thank you, Lyle. So uh, during COVID, what we realized that the number of abuse, women abuse and children abuse just shot through the roof. Uh, one in 12 uh, uh, women in Australia feel that uh, physical violence and domestic abuse increased or doubled uh, during COVID. So it was at that time we realized that we have to give a technology solution that can be scalable and that can be reached globally because we are dealing with a global problem. And that that's how the vision came and that was a spark for us to venture into the space and we realized that there is a lot of training and development happening mm -hmm. but there was not a tech solution and being experts in tech we felt how about using our gifting and talent into that space to give a safety for women. Wow so, so how does the app work? Um, you've obviously got developers um, in different parts of the world, India, Australia, you've uh, worked up the technology. How does it uh, work to protect women? How does it keep them safe? Yeah, so every woman who downloads the app pre-adds her own trusted contact into the app first. So during emergency, when she presses the SOS, the app sends the alert to all of her own trusted contacts. This is important because sometimes women feel that they don't want to involve police too quickly because it could be just, uh, you know, uh, uh, like a neighbor that's 
causing an issue or it, they could be walking in the street and feeling unsafe. So they will be confident to call their own friends in a time of need. And during the uh, activation of SOS, the app sends the uh, live location to their trusted contacts. The app also takes a photo of the front camera and the back camera. The app geotags the location. It records an audio and then it stores it all on the blockchain secure platform, which means it can never be hacked. That data can be used even in a court of law. So that's how this main feature of this app works. That's uh, genius, uh, Samson. Um, it, how, how popular has it become? I understand it was released late last year. Um, how many downloads have you had so far? Yeah, so the app is popular not just in Australia, but all over the world because we have close to 16,000 downloads. Uh, we get downloads from all over the world, uh, South Africa, Greece, Kazakhstan, even Ukraine for that matter. And uh, of course, uh, Australia, India and Bangladesh. So uh, what we are seeing is there is a need for safety. And these are people who are going into the app store and searching for a safety app and then finding up about I'm safe and then uh, downloading and using it. So we are seeing an increase demand. As you can see, there is a huge need to address domestic violence. There's a huge need to address physical safety. So we feel that we are positioned in the right place to address that need and help women in need. Fantastic. What sort of feedback are you getting from some of those 16,000 women who have downloaded the app from all over the world, obviously here in Australia as well? Are you starting to get some stories where this has helped women? Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I at the moment, we've got a lot of positive feedbacks from users who are using. Uh, we have had people who have asked for help saying that they've been uh, sexually uh, assaulted and therefore, uh, you know, how can they get for help? Um, one of the main features of the app is this feature called Ask for Help, where you're not only pressing an SOS and the alert going to your friend. But this uh, feature, what it does is it allows the person to sort of vent out, so to speak, and share their feeling or the situation. Because sometimes in a domestic violence situation or a coercive control, we know it happens over a period of time. So uh, sometimes women just want to seek for help. They want to vent out. So in this feature, ask for help, a woman can go in and they can uh, you know, type in their, uh, their uh, request in the description. And we get an alert and then we partner with a lot of other local women's safety organizations. So we directly connect them to the, the organization so they can get help. We have got uh, requests like that, women asking for help. And, uh, you know, we have connected to them with the right organizations. And so we are beginning to see a lot more traction. Of course, the vision is that by the end of the year, we'll have at least 1 million downloads. Wow. So the more people uh, download and uh, downloading and using it, uh, the word gets out and then more people are helped. So since we are just scaling up and and in the initial stages, uh, we are looking forward to uh, seeing a more uh, requests of women coming in and being able to help. That's fantastic, uh, Samson. Um, now, what can a woman do um, if she does need to escalate uh, the situation beyond her trusted contacts? So I can see the value of being able to use the app to alert them if she's in trouble or feeling unsafe. But if she needs to go to the police, can the app help with that as well? Yeah, so we have a, a unique uh, option here where when the woman, in this case, let's say a victim is asking for help, she can only ask her trusted contacts. And there is a reason for why we have kept that because I, as I explained below, they may not be comfortable going to a police. But we have given an option to the trusted contact to 
uh, alert the police immediately. So, for example, I'm based here in Adelaide, and if my friend is asking for help from one of the streets, like Hindley Street, which is known for mm. notorious things at and Friday nights, then I immediately know this is a situation that is much more severe than me just going to help. So, I, as a trusted contact, I can call the police immediately, and it alerts them. So, we sort of have found that perfect balance where we don't involve the police immediately but also involve them if it's a serious issue so that option is given to the trusted contact as well well look that's absolutely inspirational samson uh, an australian success story and uh, let's hope you get to those million downloads by the end of the year um, people can find the i am safe app in the app store and, and presumably the google equivalent uh, samson thanks so much for joining us today thank you so much Well, for seven years now, Dave Pello has been hosting the annual church and state conferences, mainly in Brisbane, but also spreading out around the nation. They've showcased some of the best speakers on how Christians and conservatives should engage with the difficult political and cultural issues of the day. Dave joins us now from Logan City in Queensland. Dave, welcome. I'm sure many of our audience are familiar with you and your conferences, but uh, just tell us a little bit of the background as to why you got them going in the first place. Thanks, Lyle. And um, yeah, look, I used to be involved in party politics uh, and both in a major party and a minor party, some experience there. And it became very obvious to me that there were many Christians who were operating out of a low level of information. They had wrong theological thinking and scriptural application to the need for Christians in the public square. Uh, and and really the the purpose of church and state is to correct that uh, false information, that false teaching, which says that Christians should uh, be quiet and silent and uninvolved and uninterested and uninfluential observers of the public square, when the actual fact is the parable of the Good Samaritan shows that loving our neighbour, all of our neighbours, regardless of how well we know them, uh, is an action and not just a spiritual or religious duty. It's not enough to pray for po for politics and governments. We actually have to get involved. And there's many exhortations throughout scripture that when we see oppression and injustice, we are to intervene and to say something and to rebuke oppressors. And so there's a whole lot of information then that comes yeah. uh, requirements. So we're not just stabbing in the dark, but we're actually operating as informed people um, being a positive influence uh, on our nation for the love of it. Absolutely. No, you're dead right. And you and I share this passion. And it's it's so clear that uh, so much injustice and oppression, whether it's for unborn babies, whether it's what uh, the LGBTIQA plus movement is doing to children and destroying families and uh, the idea of family. Uh, so th that's why these conferences are so important. It is loving your neighbour. Dave, you've got another terrific lineup at the Brisbane Summit. It's coming up on uh, March 8 and 9. I see Dr Kevin Donnelly, Avi Yemeni, uh, Calvin Robinson from the UK, uh, Steve Shavor, a whole yep. host of uh, speakers that are coming. What are your hopes for this year's event? Wow, what are my hopes? Look, um, I, I more and more am understanding that it's, it's not my role to be upfront or influential, uh, but to equip and release uh, average and ordinary Christians. So if, if I had a hope, and that's a great question, Lyle, nobody's really asked me that. Uh, my hope would be to, to see a whole lot of people uh, 
um, who've been before bring their friends who have never been before. Mm. Um, if we could just get everybody to bring one person and especially bring people who are not interested in politics, not yep. involved, um, and, and to get those people from ignorance to understanding, yep. from indifference to involvement, uh, from observers to effective and influential. Yeah, so head to churchandstate.com.au. It will always be geared on the front page to the next conference coming. But if you head to the uh, page which is register, you'll see all of the upcoming events um, that are locked in and, and confirmed. And there might even be some waiting lists there. Um, so head to churchandstate.com.au forward slash register, whether you're in Tasmania, South Australia, Western Australia, New South Wales or Queensland, in fact, all of Australia, uh, get there and find out what the program and speakers are, uh, whatever details you can. If you can come, please do come. But uh, with thanks to the great sponsor, ADH TV, it's actually going to be free and uninterrupted around the world to live stream or watch later. Fantastic. So that's going to be... Uh, uh, a lot of um, availability, really, and this content isn't, especially the summit, it's not Queensland-focused. Um, even though it's held in Queensland, it's Australian-focused, and a lot of these issues are really common across the uh, Western culture. So, um, yeah, something definitely there for everybody. Fantastic. Well, Dave, really appreciate you giving your time and uh, wish you well and uh, looking forward to seeing successful summits uh, again uh, this year. Thanks very much. Thank you. And look, we should probably mention there's a code for ADH viewers to get 20% off general admission. So if you can come, use the code ADH20 and uh, we'll give you 20% off general admission. Thank you, Lyle. Great stuff. It's on the screen, um, ADH20. Go there, get your tickets and I'll look forward to seeing you there as well. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks so much for your company. Please, during the week, follow me on X at Lyle Shelton and keep an eye on the Family First website, familyfirstparty.org.au. Don't forget to make ADHTV your go-to for news and opinion. Alternative media platforms like this are the future. Until next week, keep speaking up.